are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians entitled Jesus is the Answer. Growing up is a fact of life. We all have to do it. We may dread it, try to avoid it, or even delay it. But like it or not, we have to face that reality. Now, growing up is hard, and that is why some people want to remain young. Sino gusto dito yung still young? We want to remain young physically, emotionally, mentally. And if we have a choice, perhaps we would want to stay babies or children because life is hard. Growing up is hard. And if we have a choice, we want to remain young because we want to be cared for, loved, appreciated, adored. We want the comfort of those innocent years. And we don't want to live out the difficulties and the challenges of adulthood. Like Peter Pan, we want to live in the neverland of eternal childhood. We want to remain young. But the believers in Corinth, they were the opposite. Instead of looking at themselves as young, they see themselves as adults. They see the opposite. Because of their knowledge and intellect, they feel that they are spiritually mature. Because of the giftedness of the church, their giftedness, they think they are fully grown. But the Apostle Paul gently confronts them with God's truth. And that is what we'll look at as we continue in our series today. Our text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-5. to And the Apostle Paul tells them, time to grow up. Time to grow up. Let me read this passage to us. But I, dear brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. Now let's unpack this passage as we explore these three things. There's a case of spiritual immaturity, then there's characteristics, and there's the cure. The first is the case of spiritual immaturity in the church of Corinth. But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. The Apostle Paul rebukes the Corinthians for their spiritual immaturity. Paul tells them, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. You are not mature, you are still infants. Yes, you are born again, but you're still in your diapers. Paul tells them, even though the Holy Spirit is now in you, you are living a life as if you do not have the Holy Spirit. Your actions do not reflect the transformed lives that you are supposed to live. That is what Paul is telling them. And because of their lack of spiritual maturity, Paul said he could not feed them with solid food. It says there, verse 2, I fed you with milk, not with solid food. Even now you are not yet ready. You are still 
of the flesh. Notice what it says there. Paul tells them, even now you are not yet ready. You are not yet ready. You see, many years ago, the Corinthians already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ when Paul first came to them. They believed the gospel, but eventually time passed, but they remained immature. They were still infants in Christ. They were still like babies. Now, how many of us could relate to that? Maybe some of you have been followers of Christ for many years. Some of you have been baptized for, for a long time. But still, you are immature. You are immature. And like the Corinthians, they are immature, but they, they don't know. They don't realize that they are immature. And that could be a reality for us. And so we have to take note of our lives. You see, the Corinthians, they were like babies. And what do babies do? They are selfish and fight for their own way. Just try to take away their, to their toys and see what happens. When the baby is hungry, wet, bored, or tired, what do they do? They cry, they complain, they create chaos. And that is something that the Corinthians are doing. And that is true for us as immature Christians. If we don't get our way, we will fight, we will grumble, we will create chaos because we want to have our way. Now, babies are supposed to act like babies. It's okay because that's the natural part of life. But the babies should not remain as babies. As time passes, they begin to walk, talk, and feed themselves, regulate their emotions, and grow up. And in a similar way, God calls us to grow up in our spiritual maturity. Not just drink milk, but we need to move forward to eat solid food. And what does solid food here stands? And what does milk stands? What, do, what does Paul mean by milk and solid food? Here in this passage, milk refers to the basic teachings of the gospel. And the solid food refers to the deeping, deeper teachings of the scripture. It's not really a different kind of truth but it's the same truth with a deeper understanding, a deeper appreciation of God's mystery, of the gospel of God's grace. But the Corinthians, they were distracted. They were blinded by, the, by their intellect, by their human wisdom, by their reason, by their giftedness. And so they miss the essential point that their maturity should be reflected in the way they live their lives. And what's the reason why they are still immature? Paul tells them you are controlled by the flesh, by the sinful nature. Their sinful desires control them. Now let me ask you a question. Are the Corinthians saved? Are the Corinthians saved? The answer is yes. In chapter 1, Paul calls them saints. Here in chapter 3, Paul addresses them as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Corinthians are sanctified in Christ, but they remain infant and immature. Now, one word that describes the Corinthian believers is the word carnal. Carnal. The New King James Version used this term to refer to the people of the flesh. What does it mean to be carnal? To be carnal means positionally, we are in Christ. The Corinthians are saved. We are saved, that's positionally. But practically, the Corinthian believers, they are living carnal or worldly, meaning they are letting their sinful nature to control them. Now, I want you to take note of this. A Christian carnal, 
a, a, a carnal Christian is an oxymoron. It's like saying hot ice. It doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction. Why? Because a carnal Christian is a Christian living in sin. And that should not be. To be carnal is to let sin dominate your life, your thoughts, feelings, desires, and choices with worldliness. And that should not be. And that is why Paul is writing to the Corinthians, hey, you are already saved, but you are living a carnal life. And that should not be. So be very careful about this label because many Christians have abused the idea of carnal Christianity saying, oh, it's okay, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll be saved, but I'll just live my life the way I want it. I live according to the world, to the desires of the flesh. That is unbiblical, so you have to be very careful about this thing. You see, a genuine Christian is not perfect. He or she will continue to sin but a genuine Christian won't remain living in sin. A genuine Christian that has genuine faith will always result in repentance and obedience to God. Because we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins and the Holy Spirit will give us the power to live in self-control, to live according to God. And we have to be careful. Now what characterizes the spiritual immaturity of the Corinthians? What are they doing that allows them, that they themselves allow, uh, allow themselves to be controlled by their sinful nature? Verse 3 to 4 tells us, there's envy, jealousy, and quarreling. Let's read the verse. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You see, the cause of the division in the church in Corinth is more than external. It is also internal influences. Paul tells them, your jealousy and quarreling prove your flesh and sinful nature controls you. Yes, you are Christians, but you are acting like pagan believers. You claim to have the spirit of God, but you are not living that reality. And like babies, the believers in Corinth attach themselves to certain people. The babies, they attach themselves to parents or to their care, primary caregivers. And that is the same thing that's going on here. Some say, I'm of Team Paul. Others say, I, I am of Team Apollos. And these believers tie themselves to these leaders. And what's the result? There's faction and strife and division. There's envy, jealousy, and quarreling. Now let's take a deeper look. What is envy? What is jealousy? And what causes it? You see, envy and jealousy, these are inward attitudes. And the quarreling is the outward expression or action. Envy and jealousy are inward attitudes of the heart, and quarreling is the outward action. Envy is the painful feeling of wanting what someone else has, like attributes or possessions. Have you experience this? Maybe you envy your classmates or someone who, had, who got a better grade than you when you're still studying. Or maybe you envy your coworker who got promoted and who got the reward and recognition that you wanted for yourself. Or maybe you envy a fellow salesperson who's selling the same product as yours. Parents may envy other parents because their children are better students or better athletes. Other business people envy 
those who are making more money. Or perhaps you are someone who is following God, doing, doing your best to honor the Lord in your work, in your business, but then you see someone cheating on their taxes, giving bribes, making shortcuts, and then you see them more prosperous. Maybe you're someone who's, who's envying your friends. You see them posting their family vacations, trips, local and abroad, but while you see yourself, your family, you're struggling financially. Perhaps you're already in your senior years, you want to retire, but then because of your family situation, you cannot. And so you envy those who are already enjoying their senior years. See, there are many opportunities for us to experience envy. When we compare ourselves to someone whose circumstances are better than ours, we face that temptation. So we have to be careful. Now what about jealousy? Simply put, jealousy is intolerance of rivalry. If you're jealous, you feel threatened or fearful that someone might take your position or change your situation and get it from you. Now there are legitimate forms of jealousy. For example, you have to be right. You, you, it's right for you to be jealous when someone is trying to take away your spouse. It's normally okay. I remember one Sunday we were still in Talayan. I'm not sure if it, it happened around Valentine's Day. Someone gave a bouquet to my wife. Of course, I was surprised and I got jealous. Do you know who? I won't tell you. <laughs> now, I, I wasn't sure. I'm unsure if that person knows that my wife and I are already married. But then after the service, I, uh, I approach a person and say, uh, Brother, uh, I think you misunderstood. And uh, my wife and I are already married. She's already taken. <laughs> so that's it. You see, there's a right kind of jealousy. And we have to, we have to step up if we are in that right position. And God himself declares that he is a jealous God who will not tolerate the worship of anyone or anything than himself. There's a right kind of jealousy, but there's also a sinful kind of jealousy. It occurs when we fear someone who will become our, our equal or even superior to us. One classic example is the story of David and King Saul. King Saul got jealous of David. When did this happen? After David killed Goliath, the women in Israel start to sing this song. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And the result? Saul became angry because the people ascribed more honor to David than Saul. And Saul was afraid. Perhaps David would take away the kingdom from me. He will be the next king and I will be nobody. So from then on, King Saul regarded David as his rival and became jealous of him. Now we too are not immune from this. We can be jealous if God bless us in, in an area of our lives or our ministry and then somebody comes along who is better, younger, more capable, performs better than us. 
years ago when I was just starting in ministry, I was uh, probably around two to three years in the being a pastor. And there are a few pastors among us back then. I remember Boksu assigned some deacons to handle some ministry that I'm trying to work on as well. And these are godly and capable leaders, and I admire them for their gifts and their talents. But somehow, I felt insecure. I told myself, I'm a pastor. I'm the leader. I should know better. Sadly, I was immature, and I got envious. I know in my heart I have sinned because of my envy, because of my insecurity, and it somehow affected the way I view them or the way I approach them. But praise God, he helped me to overcome that. By the grace of God, I took courage and talked with these brothers. I confessed my insecurities to them. And looking back, hindi ko nga alam kung paano ko nagawa yun, but by God's grace, God allowed me. And praise God, the Lord healed my heart and he mended our relationships. And today we're working together and we are, I'm grateful to have brothers in the Lord, whom God is using to expand his kingdom. And you see, we need to be careful how we deal with jealousy and envy. Now look in your life, in what ways do you struggle with envy? And who are the people that you are jealous of? Ask God to help you reveal, reveal to you who are the persons that you are envious of and jealous of. And now if you are struggling with envy and jealousy, please be very careful because it has serious consequences. Take a look at these examples. For one, a serious consequence is relational. Here in our text, in the church of Corinth, there's already division and factions. There's quarreling in the church because of envy and jealousy. And back in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph, was Jacob's favorite son, and his half-brothers envied him. And what happened? They eventually conspired to kill him, but later on sold him as a slave. As a slave. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, King Saul, because of his jealousy, tried to kill David. He threw a spear at him, not only once, but twice. And David fled. He escaped. But that sad moment caused Saul to lose not only his best commander in the army, but Saul lost his son-in-law, David. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, King Saul was so desperate to kill David, but his son Jonathan said, Father, you cannot do that because David has, not, has, has been good to you. And so Jonathan wanted to protect David. But in his anger, Saul also threw a spear at his son, Jonathan. And Jonathan got very angry as well. And he was sad because of the shameful thing that his father did for trying to kill an innocent man because of his envy and jealousy. And that strained the father and son relationship between King Saul and Jonathan. So Saul lost his son. Saul lost his son-in-law because of envy. And another serious consequence of envy is emotional and physical. It says here in Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. 
You see, from a spiritual point of view, envy can rot the bones, causing the person to become bitter and angry and resentful inside, which can lead to a lack of peace and contentment internally. And these emotions can manifest physically. It can result in a weakened immune system. It can result in fatigue and other ailments because of this deep bitterness and resentment in one's heart. And what else? Not only relational, emotional, or physical, there's also spiritual. Psalm 73, verses 1 to 4 tells us, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day. Every morning brings me pain. You see, this is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph is one of the worship leaders in the temple of Israel. He trusts God and he worships God and he loves the Lord. But he was discouraged when he starts envying the wicked, when he starts comparing his life to those who are ungodly. And somehow he asked this question, why bother living a godly life? Why continue serving Yahweh? Why go through that difficulties of living a holy life and not just live by your desires or pleasure? The wicked prosper and the godly suffers. It's unfair. God is unloving. God is not good. God is not trustworthy. Dear friends, are you in that position right now? Maybe somehow in your heart you're saying, what's, what's the sense of following the Lord? Why not just live like the others? And perhaps you are angry because you see others prospering. The wicked are getting their way. The bad people are having the best time of their lives, but you are trying just to survive as you follow the Lord. I pray that you would overcome your discouragement and God will open your eyes and help you overcome your bitterness. And later on, we will see how we will do that. Now, here's another spiritual consequence of envy in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and sorcery, enmity and strife and jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, the apostle Paul gives a serious warning here. Those who walk according to the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what's the implication of this truth? You see, if you, can, if you claim you're a Christian, but you are not dealing with the obvious sins of sexual immorality or the less obvious sins of envy and jealousy and selfish ambition, it shows that there's a possibility that you have not really received the Spirit of God in you. In short, it's possible that you are not really saved if you are enslaved by envy and jealousy. That's the possibility. So you have to reflect, am I really controlled by the Spirit of God or do I let envy and jealousy control me? 
Now James 3 tells us as well, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where is the jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Did you catch that? It says here, bitter jealousy is unspiritual and demonic. It's demonic. In other words, if you have envy and jealousy, you are giving yourself to Satan. And he will use your envy and jealousy to steal, to kill, and destroy you and the people around you. Just like King Saul. He destroyed his relationship with his family, with his son, with his son-in-law, and it impacted the kingdom as well. Dear brothers and sisters, reflect on your life. How have envy and jealousy impacted you? Your family, your workplace. How has it affected you physically, emotionally, and relationally? How has it impacted you spiritually? How has your envy clouded your view of God and your view of God's goodness? And how has your jealousy controlled you in ways that Satan controls your life? In what ways have you surrendered your life to Satan instead of God, God's spirit? Be very careful of this reality because envy and jealousy are serious sins and they have serious consequences. Don't just say, oh, it's just envy, it's just, I think it's normal. No, don't, don't make that excuse because this is a serious thing. You see, one afternoon, a mother tended her garden while her baby played in the backyard. The mom noticed a strange sight and there's a tiny wiggling creature that crawled towards the baby's play, uh, favorite playing spot, thinking it was only a harmless earthworm. And so the mother paid no attention and continued with her gardening. Not knowing that this harmless earthworm was actually a baby rattlesnake. And a baby rattlesnake is so small, hindi pa nagde-develop yung rattle niya because it's, it's, uh, it's still very young. But meanwhile, the curious baby reached over the wiggling creature thinking that it's, it's just one of her playthings. And in, in a split second, the snake bit the baby. And the venomous bite ran through the baby's body. The mom turned at the sound of the baby's cry and seeing her child clutching her hand in pain. The mom ran frantic and called for help, but the venom quickly rushed through the baby's fragile body. The poison was too potent, and instantly, in a few minutes, in a few seconds, the baby was killed. Dear family, your church, don't take sin lightly. Take this seriously. Like a baby rattlesnake, envy and jealousy, it's harmful, it's deadly, it will kill you, it will destroy you, it will destroy God's plan for your life, it will destroy your family. So take serious of this thing. Deal with this sin seriously and do your best to follow the Lord and walk by the Spirit and walk in God's direction. Now, how do we cure this? What's the solution for envy and jealousy? Let's go to our last point, the cure. 
to overcome jealousy, envy, and quarreling, we need to grow up and pursue spiritual maturity in Christ. To grow up, we need to change our perspective, our passion, and pursuit. To grow up, change your perspective, your passion, and pursuit. First, we need to change our perspective. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? What is what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. You see, to overcome jealousy and envy, we need to see our situation with a proper lens. And that's also our lesson last week. We need to see things through the spiritual lens. And the Apostle Paul reminds the believers in Corinth that he and Apollos, they were only servants or ministers. Now, the word servant could also mean a servant of a king. Or the servant could also be translated as a waiter. We're only the ones who serves food and drinks. We are not the host. Paul says, Apollos and I are not the masters. We are only servants. It is God who assigned us our tasks. And we are therefore accountable to the Lord. We are responsible to the Lord. We are only instruments in God's hands. And he uses us to accomplish his purpose. God is the master, it is not us. And so in the same way, our pastors, our leaders, or the people we look up to, yes, we respect them, it's okay for us to admire them, but we should not idolize them to the point that we lift them up and to be like gods. We, we love our ministers, our pastors, but we need to understand that they are not the master. It is the Lord who is the master. They are, the on, they are only servants. And if they are the servants, our leaders are only servants, who is the master? God is the master. He is Lord. It says here, it is the Lord who assigned to each. Now the word Lord is in the Greek is actually the same title that is used to address or to call Caesar or the Roman emperor. So Paul is saying here, God is the ultimate ruler. God is the supreme ruler. He is the master. He has absolute power and authority. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the God who will judge the wicked and reward the faithful. Now how do we cure envy and jealousy? Let's go back to Psalm 73. And this is what the psalmist said. Verse 16. So I try to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on slippery path and send them sliding over the, the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. What helped the psalmist overcome his envy and jealousy? and bitterness against God, he had a change of perspective. He put in the God equation. He saw the bigger picture. And that is the same way that we need to do. That is the same way for us. I don't know where you are struggling right now, what's, what's causing you to be envious, but we need to see things, our circumstances, in light of eternity. Whenever you struggle with the temptation of envy and jealousy, Put God in the picture. And remember, he is the sovereign Lord. He is the master who will reward your faithfulness and he will be the one to punish the wicked in his time and in his ways. 
Now, God is not only the powerful and the all-loving God. He is also the God. Uh, not only God is all-powerful, but He is also a God who loves us, a God who is all-loving, a God who is all-gracious and merciful. And that connects us to our next point. We need to change our hearts and passion. We need to change our hearts and passion. Technically, we cannot change our hearts. Enough, we, ourselves, we cannot do that. It's impossible to do that. Only God can change our hearts. And what will help us do that, it is through His power, through His Spirit. And when we understand and experience God's love that changes our hearts, it gives us the freedom to love others like He loves us. Now, let me explain. We live in a culture that values greatness, popularity, and success. We tend to compare ourselves to others. We tend to envy those who have more or who are better than us. And why do we get envious or jealous of others? There are many reasons, but here's one key reason. You see, at the heart of our envy and jealousy is our woundedness. It's our pain. Somewhere in our lives, we got hurt. And because of that hurt, we somehow try to defend ourselves. Because we live in a sinful and broken world, we are impacted by sin and brokenness around us. We got hurt. Perhaps growing up, your per uh, you were hurt by your parents or your friends or the people you love and trust the most. Perhaps right now you are going through suffering and difficulties and some of the unfortunate events of your life and you are wounded by that. And because of those hurt and loss, you are now afraid to experience the same pain and you try to just grapple on to something just to protect yourself. You see, this is the heart of envy and jealousy. Perhaps you are saying, I want to be loved, but my parents don't love me. I'm not the favorite. Actually, I'm the black sheep. I'm the one rejected. Perhaps you're saying, I want to be accepted by my classmates rejected me and bullied me. I want to be respected, but people disregard me and they treat me rudely. Perhaps you're saying, I want to belong, but I came from a broken family. I'm somehow do not fit in, now I'm alone. I want to be protected, but people harass and abuse me. I want to have stability, but our, our family struggles financially, and there's something going on in my life right now, and I suffer so much losses in terms of health or finances and other things, and I have nothing. I want security, but I lost the people I love when I was young, and I'm insecure and empty. Friends, perhaps these are the wounds in your heart that you have, that has been buried deep beneath yourself. Perhaps you say, I'm unloved and I'm rejected. I'm disregarded. I'm alone and empty. I have nothing. I'm afraid. And I'm afraid to suffer further pain. Now, if this is the cry of your heart. If this is the longing of your heart, don't despair. Because Jesus is the answer. God loves us so much that he wants to give the best thing that we could have, and that is salvation through Christ. God wants to heal our hearts. God wants to heal your heart. And Jesus is the answer. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, this is 
the work of the Lord, it says, All praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. But it did not stop there. Paul continued, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. We praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And what else? Furthermore, he said, because we are united with Christ, we have received the inheritance from God. He chose us in advance and makes us everything work out according to his plan. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you his Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. So did this so we would praise and glorify him. Now this is a long passage, and, but let's summarize what God is telling us. You see, if you are in Christ, this is your reality. You say you are unloved, but in Christ, you are loved by God. You say, I'm rejected, but in Christ, you are accepted by the Father and without fault in his eyes. You may say, I'm disrespected and I'm unwanted, but in Christ, you are chosen by God. You may say, Pastor, I'm disregarded, but in Christ, you are precious because God bought you with his precious blood, and therefore, you are precious and forgiven. You say, I'm alone, but in Christ you are adopted into God's family and you are invited to participate in God's community. You may say, I'm empty, but in Christ you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You may say, I have nothing, but in Christ you have a guaranteed eternal inheritance. Friends, to overcome envy and jealousy, we need to experience God's love. Not just know God's love in our minds, in our head, but really let God's love transform your heart. I remember Tim Keller, he said something like this, spiritual maturity comes when you have a deeper appreciation of the gospel, when you have a deeper understanding of the gospel. You don't need new truth. You need the same old truth, but in a deeper understanding of it. We need to understand the love of God, the love of Christ. Don't look at your hurts. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your difficulties. Don't look at other people. Look up to God. Look up to Christ. At the cross, Jesus paid it all so that we can have it all, so that we can live for him. And when you experience the love of God, you will also have the power and the freedom to love others as Christ loved us. And that kind of love is a love that is patient and kind, a love that does not envy or boast, a love that is not jealous or proud. But here's the key. The blessing that God is offering, we have to be in Christ to receive it. To overcome our envy and jealousy, we need Christ in our hearts, in our lives. 
Now, here is something that I want you to consider. At this point, perhaps some of you have not really given your life to Christ. You have not received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. But today is an opportunity for you to experience a transformed heart. Today is an, is an opportunity for you to experience the love of God so that it will help you overcome your envy and jealousy, to overcome your sin, to overcome being controlled by the world. And I pray that you consider this prayer. This is a prayer, a simple prayer that would change your heart. And I invite you to pray right now in your heart by faith, say this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive my sins and come into my life. Lord Jesus, give me a new heart. Heal my hurts and brokenness. Change my life and enable me to embrace God's plan for my life. Amen. Now, if you are already a Christian and you are already a follower of the Lord, but perhaps somewhere along the way you have lost track of God's direction in your life, or perhaps you have walked your own way, God is inviting you to return to Him because God wants to heal you and restore you. Return afresh to God and turn your life to Christ once more. Surrender your hurts and pain to Jesus and lay down your worries and concern at his feet. Don't fret, don't worry, don't frown, because God is for you. And he desires only what is best in your life. God wants to work his good in your life and his glory. And if that is the desire of your heart, pray this simple prayer of repentance and returning to God. Lord, this day, I humbly return to you. I give my life to you again. I surrender my envy and jealousy. Lay hold, lay hold of my heart. Embrace me and help me to experience your love again. Enable me to live this life according to your perfect plan in Christ. Use me for your glory. I pray that you pray this prayer today, these prayers. And when you pray this prayer, there's the certainty that God hears and answers your prayer. And there's that assurance that God will restore your heart. So starting today, walk by faith, walk in the Lord, embrace his love, and experience a transformed heart. The last. As we the cure for our envy and jealousy is not just changing our perspective, changing our hearts and passion, but also changing our pursuit. When you change your perspective by seeing God as who he is, and when you experience the love of Christ in your heart and be transformed from the inside out and have that change of passion, your life pursuit will also change. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5 tells us, what then is Apollos, what then is Paul, servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. Now Paul understood that his calling is to serve the Lord. But this is not out of duty, but out of that deep gratitude for God's love. As the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says here, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer 
live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. God wants us to, inv- to invite us. God wants us to, um, to respond, not out of duty, but out of love of Christ. Just think of the love of God. This is the heart of God for us. God's greatest gift is in Christ Jesus. The best gift that He could give us is our salvation. Not our comfort, not success, not the applause of this world, but the greatest gift that He could receive is His embrace through Christ. So dear family and friends, let us Respond with gratitude. It's time to grow up. Let us grow up. Give up your envy and jealousy and give your life to Christ. As we close, let's reflect on this chart again. I don't know where you are going through in your journey right now. Perhaps you're still hurting and say, Lord, I just can't give this up. Or Lord, right now I'm suffering because of the losses that I've experienced and I felt life has been tough for me. I'm unloved and I'm wanted. I'm alone and empty. I have nothing. But here's the good news for us. God doesn't want you to stay in that darkness. Instead, God is inviting you to come to Him, to drink deep of His love. In Christ, you are no longer a victim. In Christ, you can be a victor. What would separate us from the love of God? It's not hardship, nor difficulties, nor darkness, nor death. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Christ, you are no longer a victim, but a victor. In Christ, you are loved, accepted and chosen. In Christ, you are precious and forgiven, adopted into his family. In Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing and guaranteed with an eternal inheritance. The question is, will you embrace that love? Will you say yes to God? Will you grow up? Will you change your perspective? Will you let God change your heart and passion? Will you change your pursuit? No longer to live for yourself, but to him who died for us so that we may live for his glory and we may experience the good things that He has planned for our lives. Let's bow our heads. At this point, let's just spend this time to to reflect and talk to God and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do you want me to remember today? Lord, what do you want me to do starting today? Do you want me to surrender your life to Christ afresh? That is so. Just pray to God and do so. Is God inviting you to surrender your hurts and pains to Him? Let God heal your heart and ask the Lord to really help you understand the deep love of the Father through Christ.